God, can we just pray? I just want to pray that the Lord heads me in the right direction. Father, please help me now not to do anything casually. To belittle this time here or every breath you've given me. The opportunity we have as spirit-filled believers. God, help us to understand the potential. Terms like spirit-filled don't just become old and common to us, but still carry a weight, a sense of awe, of just an amazing truth that we are the temple. What power we possess, a courage we should have. Fearlessness as you are fearless. You fear nothing. And we're your children. And we represent you well. I even trust right now that your Holy Spirit will give me words to say. The direction to go. And that what we do is not just one mind trying to communicate to another mind. But that it would be spirit to spirit. That somehow you would reveal truth to us. From heaven itself. Purify us, God, our motives in speaking and listening right now. We just put it all under your lordship. We worship you, Father. We are only in this room because of what Jesus did for us. It's because you rescued us, you saved us, you drew us to yourself. And now we love you. It's all you're doing, Father. We thank you. And we joyfully say now, send us, use us, however, Father. For now, purify our hearts, our motives. That we'd be unstained by the world and even the thinking that maybe we even faced on the way here. We praise you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for those who don't know, I, I met Brad probably, I don't know, 15 years ago or something, 10, 15 years ago, up at Hume Lake Christian Camp. Um, I used to speak there, and uh, he, he came telling his story, and it just blew my mind, and hung out with him there right after the talk, went over to the snack bars, like, can I get a few minutes with you? And um, I was like, should I just leave? You know, should I just go? I feel like I should go. You're right. There's, there's a million different people they can listen to. Why, why another voice? You know, I, I, I think this is what I need to do. And, and he was like, well, okay, slow down. You know, it's good. It's good. Um, at least you were listening. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's think through just the position you've been given, and, and sometimes you are more effective as a sender, as long as that's not a cop-out, but that's really what's best for the kingdom, and, and as he came and spoke at our church, and, um, you know, I just wanted everyone to go. I wanted to figure out how do we send people, and had the joy of sending some people, but even, even when he was at Cornerstone and looking at our mission statement, he was like, gosh, you're just, it's all about your city. Um, there's nothing in here that talks about the world and the unreached people groups. And, and at that time, we were giving maybe, maybe 2% of our income to missions. Um, it was just ridiculous. It, it was just completely self-centered. But uh, as many of you know, what took us down this different path. Um, and so his influence in my life has been huge. Um, influence in Cornerstone Church's life was huge. To the time we left, 50% of our income was going away. So a little bit of a change. Um, but it was just the mindset of their people who, who, who don't know, they haven't heard. And really, that was largely what led me to leave my church. Uh, five years ago was I thought there are so many good leaders in this one church and then there are so many good churches in this one city and 
Why, is this really where the Apostle Paul would stay? You know, am I really just going to teach these same people for, for another, you know, 16, 17 years, you know, at that point? And I, I just thought there's just too many other places with greater need. And I just felt like if I discipled well, if these leaders are who I think they are, and they have the Spirit of God in them, gosh, there are just too many Spirit-filled leaders and too many good churches in one city Let's just go find something else, anything else, just something with a little bit more need. And so that's kind of been the adventure I've been on and went overseas and just prayed in every country going, God, is this it? Is this it? We have nowhere to go. We, we sold everything. We had no home. It was just me, my wife, and our, or just our five kids at that time. Now we have seven. But, uh, you know... We're just going from country to country, going, God, we'll stay here. We have nowhere to go to. We have no home anymore. And it was such a thrill. It was a joy. There was a security of, okay, this feels right. This feels so right. God, where, where do you want us to go? And yet, uh, gosh, when we were looking for apartments in Hong Kong, um, I really got this sense, you know, we had looked at schools, everything else, I thought this, this may be the fit. Um, this overwhelming sense, I want to be very careful to ever say God spoke to me. Um, I'm a graduate of the Master's Seminary, so um, <laughs> just so you know. Uh, but I got a real serious thought in my head from somewhere. Um, and a real sense like, man, uh, this, this isn't just coming in my own head. But uh, it, it was just, I really felt like I didn't finish the work I was supposed to do here. And I was a little afraid of some things, of being vocal enough about questioning the way we do church and the money that's being wasted and the amount of entertainment and um, just wasted resource. I mean, you know, you get a church of 100 people, and how many of those people shared the gospel that week? What's your guess? If you, out of a church of 1,000 people, let's say, what's your guess of how many people verbalized the gospel that week? Of 1,000 missionaries, 1,000 salesmen, if you will. And yet, well, you know, that's going to run you at least a million dollars, you know, probably close to $2 million a year. So $2 million, 1,000 salesmen, and how many times has the gospel come from their lips? It was just embarrassing. And yet that was the church that I was leading and, uh, um, you know, where we had thousands of people, millions of dollars, and I'm going, gosh, I can't just keep teaching and, and, and talking and saying the same thing to the same people over. I've got to try something. And so I'm still... Not sure what's going on. Um, you know, we've planted some house churches in San Francisco, and the joy of that has been, sometimes I'll sit in some of these gatherings, which I don't lead. I train the leaders and let them do it. I want to see them multiply so it's not centered around me and my teaching style, but really these people and the Holy Spirit in them, and it's been beautiful. But sitting in in one of the groups um, a little while back, there's maybe 15 or 20 people in this, in this house church, in that home, and as, as the leader just asked, okay, how, how was the week? I was just listening to the stories of everyone who spoke. As I left, I thought every single person in that group spoke about someone they shared the gospel with that week. I go, man, that's, that's, that's the church, you know? And all these house churches are lay-led, Okay, and meet in homes, and once a month we meet in a park, so zero cost, no salaries, no building, everything can go to the mission, and they're missional, they're living like families, they're discipling, and I'm going, okay, this can happen, okay, and, uh, and I'm getting very excited about it. It requires the Lord. It requires the Lord sending forth laborers. It's hard for me because I have to trust these leaders and whereas in my old model, I just had to trust myself. As long as I was walking with the Lord and I was spirit-filled and I had studied, I knew I could get in front of a group of people and keep them there. It required nothing of the gifts of the body. 
and for everyone using their gifts. And uh, in my mind, I just go, this just isn't right. Something isn't right. And um, I, I, I think a lot of times we can come to a gathering like this and hear different talks and go, yeah, that's not right. That's not right. That's not right. But what I'm praying for is as you get that, that you would have the courage and the boldness to go back to wherever you came from and go, because this isn't right, here's what we must do. And those were always those critical moments in the church's history when we're great, we're experts at conviction. I mean, we know how to listen to podcast after podcast and feel convicted. We know how to go to conference after conference and go, ooh, that really wrecked me. But what does it do? How does the church change? And so at Cornerstone, we were always very much about, okay, what do we do then? Okay, how much are we going to cut the budget in this area? That I know, let's, let's let go of those people. Let's figure it out. Oh, you know what? I, I see baptism, right, at conversion. Well, what are we going to do? Let's start baptizing at every single service. It, it, it's just those types of decisions that the elders were able to make, and uh, it, it was just a, it was a great time. Um, but I'm, I'm praying because I know that uh, some of us come from areas probably where it's difficult. Change is difficult, and... Um, and it's not entirely up to you, and there is a board, and there are people, and there is, you know, you gotta talk to this guy, this guy, this guy, and I, I don't know, I'll just pray for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, the, the topic I was given today, which I love, is God's glory among the nations as the ultimate goal and fuel for the gospel worker. God's glory among the nations as the ultimate goal and fuel for the gospel worker. It's about why we do what we do. What's our motivation? What fuels you? What, what brought you here today? Of all the places you could be, what brought you here? What was really the motivation? It's, it's not just about the fact that, oh good, you're here but what got you here? And these are the things that no one questioned me on in the early days. I, I'm trying to think back when I, when I decided to be a pastor. Did anyone ask me about my motivation? And at that time, at, at the, maybe even the purest moments, was my motivation really the glory of God? I mean, early on, my motivation as a high school student, after I became a believer, uh, my, I was motivated to share with all of my friends on campus. Man, I was that guy that was just like, I get it. I, I got to save my friends. All the talk was about my friends going to hell. I didn't want my friends going to hell. All my friends were going to hell. I just thought, I've got to talk to them because I don't want them to go to hell. That's not a bad motivation, right? You know, and so I'm sharing the gospel, but again, no one taught me about the glory of God. That wasn't something you talked about was about him. And, uh, and so I'm glad we have this time for us first to evaluate our own hearts. Because I'm uh, very much about discipleship and we reproduce who we are. And many of you guys know David Platt was just mentioned. He and I, that's our heart is, you know, we've been working together to just figure out how do we get people to make disciples. But the first question we ask is, do we want them to make disciples? Do you really want two of them? You know, it, it, it's just, you, you know, seriously, because if your motivation is not the glory of God and could potentially be your own glory, then what will your disciples look like? What will your children look like? Right? And so we have to start with ourselves. Um, I, I got to say, you know, this last week, I have just been off. Um, this rarely, rarely happens. I don't say that to brag. It's just, it's just not me. But my wife, a couple of times this last week, just said, honey, are you okay? Um, because I, 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 things, don't, things don't get to me. I, I, I let things just kind of roll off. I just remember even 20 years ago in this church split we were a part of it, that all the pastors, elders are going nuts. I was like, eh, you know, it is what it is. 
And, and they nicknamed me Teflon Man. They go, nothing sticks to you, does it? I, I'm getting married in a few weeks, that's all I care. You know, it, it just, it, it, it's just, you know, so I'm not the type that just, oh, I'm so burdened because I just, I have an understanding of the sovereignty of God. I get it. Um, things happen. But this last week's been tough for me um, to the point where my wife, I don't remember if there's ever been a time where a couple of times in a week she's asked, are you okay? Are you doing all right? But I've just been sad about the, our country. You know, like it's, uh, it's really wearing on me when I think about what God created us for and with the things that happened in our country last week and me living in San Francisco, you know, and just looking over the city before I was preaching, realizing I'm about to start preaching at the same time as the pride parade is about to start. And when I read this book, if there's one thing God hates more than anything, it's pride. And here we are marching in the name of that. And I just get embarrassed of being here. I get embarrassed of my city. And it's hard when people call evil good and good evil. But that part, I, I can even get over that. I, that's not what killed me. Like, yeah, that makes me sad. But you know what really, really, I think changed my mood was when I was watching the church's response. Um, that's where it just starts bothering me. It's the comments that I hear from Christians and the posts I see that my kids will show me on Facebook from Christians. And people even in our own, my own gatherings where I thought, whoa, you, you just said that? I, it, it just becomes burdensome of all these talks you're going to have to have now. And um, and then I get angry <laughs> when it comes to pastors and seeing some of the comments that pastors in our country make and say under the guise of love, which really shows their man-centered worldview. Um, and so, I don't know, it, it's just one of those things where when you start getting slandered by spiritual leaders um, and get labeled as unloving or judgmental, um, it gets, it just, it get wears on you. And I think the worst part was as I'm looking at all this and getting frustrated, then I look inward and look at my own motives for everything I do and realize, wow, I'm not exactly unstained by the world myself. And is God's glory among the nations the ultimate goal and fuel for my actions. And so I was okay while I was just judging everyone else. Um, but I started looking inward and going, man, I realize how much I've been affected, infected by it, and how much we all have been. And I thought it would just be a good time for us to even look at ourselves and purify our motives and go, man, am I still just about the glory of God? You know, because Paul told Timothy, it's going to get bad, right? And I believe we're in those times. I think we all believe we're in those times. Second Timothy 3, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. 
Okay, Paul gives this list in Timothy and he says it's gonna get terrible in the end. And then he lists off all of these things and all these characteristics of those end times. But the thing you've gotta grasp in this passage as you read 2 Timothy is he's not talking about the world. When he writes this list, he's talking about the church. This is why it's going to get terrible is because these characteristics are going to infiltrate the church. That's why he says avoid such people. He's not talking about people in the world. It's like in 1 Corinthians 5 when he talks about the sexually immoral. and all. He goes, man, he goes, don't even eat with them. He goes, I'm not talking about the world. I'm not talking about the unbelievers. Otherwise, you'd have to leave the world. I'm talking about those who call themselves brothers, yet are, da-da-da-da-da, goes on that list. They don't even eat with them. Avoid them. And here Paul's talking to Timothy, and he goes, in the last days, it's going to be terrible. He's not talking about atheists. He's talking about people who have an appearance or some sort of form of religiosity, of godliness, but they deny its power. He's talking about the people in the church. And he says, this is why it's going to get terrible, is these things are going to creep into the church. And as I look in my own life, I see some of these things creep in because what happens is the world gets so awful in its mindset that just because the church is a little bit better than that, we feel good about ourselves. Then as a pastor, you think, well, I think I'm still a little bit ahead of the rest of my congregation, and you feel good about that. Meanwhile, the word of God is way over here of how we're supposed to live, and this is supposed to be our standard. And rather than priding ourselves of being a little bit better than the world or a little bit better than our congregation, is to go here and say, no, God, I don't want any guile. I don't want any deceit. I don't want any mixed motives of why I do what I do. Is it really for your glory? Because he says in the last days, it's going to get really difficult because people will become lovers of self. That's not even considered a sin in the world. That's, that's championed. And what I'm concerned about is that, does not, that usually is not a sin in the church being a lover of self, really, but that's the center of all of this. I was reading one commentary that said that that phrase, lovers of self, is like the sewage pipe through which all the other garbage flows. All of this other stuff is because you're a lover of self. That's why you love money. Why do you love money? Because you love yourself, and yourself wants money. Why are you proud? Because you love yourself. Why are you arrogant? Because you love yourself. Why are you abusive? Because you don't care what anyone else thinks. You, You don't care how it affects them and how you abuse them. You love yourself. It's the center of all of this. And in the church, we get very clever by saying, well, the Bible says love your neighbor as yourself. So pastor, I don't think I love myself enough. I'm just going to work on loving me first. We've heard it, right? And you just have to look at those people. No, that's not your problem. (laughs) Your problem is you adore yourself. Every time we get together, we talk about your favorite topic, you, you know, and here we go again. How can I love myself? It's just, it's, it's what God can do, what he can free you of is to stop thinking about yourself and loving yourself and actually think about others, actually think about him and not thinking about your glory. And again, you know, like sociologists, I mean, they say that our generation right now is the most narcissistic generation in all of human history. We've never been so self-centered. But if you grow up in it, how can you tell? How do you know? Like, we think it's perfectly normal for everyone on the planet to make a page about themselves. Well, of course. Who else would I make a page about? I'm going to post pictures of other people. No, me and the best pictures of me and all the accomplishments of me. So everyone look at me and see how many me followers I can get. How many people will, will give me a like? How many people are going to follow me? 
You guys, see, see in, in, Paul's writing this in the last days. I mean, they would go, there's no way. How could everyone on the planet think that their voice should be heard? That's, that's the world we live in. And so it creeps into the church, and we don't even recognize it. And it becomes about us. It becomes about our church. And where I realized... Uh, You know, when I, I look at myself and I think, oh no, I'm about the glory of God, I'm about the glory of God, I'm about His kingdom. Then I look at my prayers and I evaluate my prayers and I go, if I'm so much about the kingdom, why do I pray so much about me? Why do I pray so much for me in whatever ministry I'm in or whatever church I'm leading? And why is it I pray so seldomly for the church down the street if I'm really about the kingdom? and God's glory? Why do I pray so seldomly for these unreached nations? I really would be embarrassed for you to read a transcript of my prayers to see how much it affects only the ministries I'm involved in rather than the glory of God, rather than saying, God, I don't, I don't care. I don't care what church. Just, just glorify yourself right now. God, if you want to take that one down the street, I don't even like the pastor. I don't even care. You know, just, just have him thrive. Make it so that everyone in that church just bows down this Sunday. I don't care if it happens in my, any church. Just pick one in my city. Just get, you know, if it's a miracle, you know, if something like that, if, 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 if it's an earthquake, if it's whatever, but it causes those people to fall madly in love with you and spend their life just wanting to shed light on your glory, then have it happen. But so often my prayers don't sound like that. It's like, Lord, I'm about to speak, and God, I just want, I just want the Spirit to flow through me. I just want to see a power. And, and it's not terrible, but you see how it creeps in? And is this really about Him? Or is this about me? I, I was hoping there was a cross. I was assuming there was a cross in here because it was a church, but because um, <laughs> I had an illustration, and I'm like, oh, there'll be a cross, you know? It's Brad's church, okay? Um, but uh, we'll just pretend this is a cross. It's the Bible. It's close enough. But what my job and your job is is this, right? Like, this is, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what everyone's supposed to do. Just, just don't look at me. Don't look at me. Like, I just want to stare at the cross. And I want to figure out ways to make this, this light brighter, more, you know, defined, maybe more broad-reaching, but I, I've got to shine light on that. I, 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 let me just stay in the dark and just... Just look, 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 and everyone pointing their light at the gospel, at Jesus, at God, to explaining people His glory. And yet that's not what happens a lot, right? Look at my page. Look at my ministry. Read my book. Sometimes it's a little bit of this, right? No, it's, it's mainly him. You know, I'm just a messenger, right? <laughs> it's this, man, we just, we, we miss it, right? Where, how much I get caught up in this, lovers of self. Talks about... Um, you know, I, just yesterday even, got a flyer in the mail for a church, um, you know, an outreach, and uh, I shouldn't say, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, it, it just, it was just, come to our church, first time visitor gets two movie tickets. All right, I, I mean, I, I don't want to judge, but it, it's, does anyone else see just something a little weird about that? When we're talking about 
or breathing right now because of a being up there who created everyone, who if he never thought to create you, you wouldn't even exist. You, you, you wouldn't be, he, that thought of creating you entered his mind and so you're here. And you can get to know him and you can be forgiven by him and you can have eternity with him. I mean, this being, like that's, and, and to say, well, how about some movie tickets? There's just something, and I get it, I, I get it, and I've done outreaches like that, so I'm not, I'm not like, I am a little bit, but you, you know what I'm saying, I'm just going, there's something we're doing wrong that just feels so off when we're trying to lure people in. Um, you know, one of the phrases there is they're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and I just wonder how much of that is our doing and our fault, and and this preaching that says, if you follow God, you'll have this and this and this and this and this. Rather than if you follow him, you can have him. Man, do you know what it's like to be called a child of God? Do you know what it's like to be so secure knowing that the creator and the, the, the omnipotent one, the only immortal one, the only ruler, king of kings, lord of lords, calls you his daughter or his son for all of eternity. Like, the, the, like that's what we get. And it's like, okay, that's cool, but can we get movie tickets too? You, you know, it's just kind of this weird addition thing. And I just wonder how much of it is we're watering it down by the way we deliver and cheapen it in some ways. I mean, Justin Bieber wouldn't do that. Buy my album, I'll give you two movie tickets too. That's embarrassing. It's like you got to reduce yourself to that rather than what Jesus says, look, I'm a great God. You guys don't want to worship me? All the nations will worship me. So if you don't want to worship me, that's fine. Like, like what he says in Malachi um, chapter 1. Verse 11, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts, but you profane it. It's in that passage where he says, look, it's going to happen. My name's going to be great among the nations, okay? That's how this thing culminates, is the nations are going to worship me. If you don't want to be a part of it, you don't have to be a part of it, but don't give me these half-hearted sacrifices. Don't give me that blind sheep over there. Don't, don't give me, you know, your leftovers. My name's going to be great. Do you want to be a part of that? It's going to be lifted up among the nations. That's what God cares about. And it's as, as we become lovers of God rather than lovers of pleasure, these things will naturally become the desires of our hearts. But we can get caught up in being lovers of pleasure, even as pastors, even as people in ministry. Before we know it, it's so deceptive where we make decisions based upon money, well, this church is offering me, you know, retirement, and I've got kids, and they're offering me health care, they're offering me this, they're offering me that, and I'm stable here, I'm secure here. It doesn't seem like a big deal. People would applaud you for that. There's churches where people are making a lot of money for leading three songs that weekend. And let me just call for what it is, you know? Are you gonna find an easier job anywhere else that'll pay you that much? Probably not, and yet we just assume anyone that's working for the church is this godly man or woman. Eh, could be that they're lazy or greedy. Um, there's a lot of different motives out there. And it creeps in but we become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And I guess that's one question I want to ask of you because, I, okay, this can be a, uh, a struggle for some of us that are doers, okay? And what I see in this group are people that 
want to get the work done. But we've got to watch our motives and ask ourselves, are we lovers of God or lovers of pleasure? Are we truly lovers of God? Are you known as a lover of God? I don't hear about this that often. When's the last time you heard of a pastor or a speaker or whatever, any type of ministry leader, where the first thing that comes out of someone's mouth in describing him or her is, wow, he is so in love with Jesus. So I hear a lot of talk of, man, that guy is brilliant. He's like a genius. He's like, the way he thinks. I hear a lot of talk of, man, that is one of the most amazing leaders you will meet on this earth. He, the, the way he organizes and, and, and figures this out. He, he is one of the best thinkers you will find. He is one of the best communicators on this earth. But when do you hear, man, I've never met someone that just loves Jesus like him. Like, like he just adores, like he wakes up and he's just like, God, I love you. You just see it on his face. And it's like he's obsessed. He just goes around. He's not even thinking about himself. He's just like, man, shining his light. I got to tell you about him. I, I got to tell you about what he did. I mean, do you get it? Like he's, he, he's like the, the glorious one, the holy one. He dwells in unapproachable light. And, and yet, yet he loved the world so much that he sent his son. I mean, you've got to know him. Man, I was with him this morning. We had the most amazing time this morning. I just couldn't get enough of him when we commune, when we talk. You see, I'm not hearing about that in the church. Are we lovers of God? See, Paul tells Timothy, it's going to get scary in the end because people are going to have all of these things going on in the church. They're going to be proud. They're going to be seeking their own glory, seeking their own pleasure. Lovers of self, not lovers of God. They'll have some form of godliness, but they'll deny its power. You see, it's out of a a deep obsession, love for him that you become infatuated with his glory and that becomes the motive. I, I say that, not because I know this wasn't a love God talk, but I don't know how to get to the glory without that. Okay, you know, you look back, like I said, I have seven kids. My oldest one's about to turn 20 and my youngest one is six months old. Okay, so I've got everything. Um, and, you know, you look back, you go, oh, I kind of screwed up with the old one. You know, but uh, <laughs> you, you just mature, right? You go, gosh, what, what would I, what, if I could go back, you know, like, this one's going to be good. No, <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm being a little facetious. I love my oldest daughter dearly, tremendously. If anything, I just feel bad of some of my weaknesses. And, you know, we're making disciples, right? And you see how you multiply some of the things you don't want to multiply. But I think it started off the moment she was born. And I don't know how you control this. I'm seeing first-time parents at my church now, and I'm trying to warn them delicately. But nowadays, it's like the moment... I mean, I had one friend, man, she was taking pictures as she's delivering her baby and Instagramming it. It's like... Gosh, I don't really care. I don't really want to see that. It's just, it's just, oh, it's still bloody. You know, it's, it's just, why are you taking pictures of him already, you know? And, uh, but there's this obsession of, look at my baby, look at my baby, look at my baby. Let me send out announcements. Here's my baby. Isn't he so cute? Oh, I dressed him up as a frog. Oh, I dressed, you know, it's just everywhere. Every, I mean, I did it. It's my first child. I just assumed, man, everyone's as interested in my baby as I am. I'm so blown away. Of course you want to see her pictures. Of course you, 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 know, you, you think she's wonderful like I do, and inviting people over, having her one-year-old birthday party. woo You know, everyone, come over. We all do it. You know, I got all these videos of just my first kid. And, and you know, it's just, it's this obsession, right? But, you know, in hindsight, you realize, wow, I was just obsessed with her. And so naturally, man, I'm just constantly bringing her glory and telling the nations <laughs> about my daughter. 
You know, her first words, when she walked, when she talked. Oh, look, now she can sing. Everyone listened to her. Just everything, drawing attention. Why? Because I was obsessed with her. And I didn't want us to talk about, okay, how can we make this fuel for all these other people without starting at the, the beginning point? of us still being obsessed with Jesus. Lovers of God, not lovers of self, not lovers of pleasure, but we're just obsessed with him, obsessed with him. All we think about is him. And we just naturally just go, man, I gotta get other people to know about him. I, I want everyone on the planet to know about him. I've gotta get his glory to the nations. You start to care about the things that they care about. Um, and God says, this is the plan. My name will be great among the nations. I want to read, uh, how much time I have left? Just a few minutes. Let me just read uh, Isaiah 43. I was just reading this the other day and it kind of goes with what we're talking about. Isaiah 43. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give to Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in return for you peoples in exchange for your life fear not for i am with you i will bring your offspring from the east and from the west i will gather you i'll say to the north give up and to the south do not withhold bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth everyone who is called by my name whom i created for my glory whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also henceforth, I am He. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Like this is, what it's about is this God who, He's amazing. The moment he decides, we're done. Our life is over. And I've just been shocked at how many days I've spent on myself, drawing attention to myself, shining the light partially on me, partially on God, rather than just being consumed with him and his glory and wanting so badly to get in the background and just point to him. You know, when I was in uh, China, just kind of listening to some of the leaders in the underground church, um, one of them made a comment. They said, you know, you guys in the States, 
ministers, pastors, you feel like you have to be famous, like the most powerful pastors or the most famous pastors in America. He goes, in China, the most influential leaders are the most hidden ones. No one knows their name. No one can know their name. And I thought, oh, isn't that beautiful? Like no one can know who they are once they're found out. It's going to ruin the ministry. It really had to be about discipleship and this ridding ourselves of ourselves and really pointing to the glory of God. And so, as I've been in this pursuit of just reestablishing my love for God, you start to care about the things that He cares about. You know, when you love someone and something breaks their heart, like you have a daughter and some guy breaks his heart, you just want to kill him too, right? Yeah. It's just, that's, that's what happens. They, they want something and you kind of want it too because you love them. That's what happens in a love relationship. And so often in a gathering like this and with people like me, is we can get to the task and go, what's the motive? Is it really because I just adore him? I love him and I see that his desire is that his name be glorified among the nations. And so I go, God, I so love you. And if that's what you want, I'm going to figure out how this is done. And if I face persecution because of it, and if even people in my church start resisting some of these changes that I want to see happen, for at least you're watching me and you're seeing that here's one person that's being rejected for your glory. Um, I want your glory amongst the nations. And that doesn't mean we belligerently go back and change this or this. I've certainly made that mistake. But that we humbly just pray with people and get people's hearts back again and go, what's this all about? Because I've, I've made big mistakes in gatherings like this. I'll walk in and I will assume a lot. And then later on go, you find out what happened with this guy or this girl or that person, the truth about your life, and you go, why didn't I say something when I had the chance? And the truth is, is there may be some of you that at the end of your life, you stand before God and He says, you were never about me. You were about you. You're in love with a successful ministry and numbers and accomplishments, but you never knew me. In a group this size, there's probably some deep-rooted sin that's been hidden really well. I'll never know. But out of a love for you, I'm saying, would you, would you confess that, repent of that, and even step down from whatever position you're in? Because you're hurting the church at large. You know, it's like Achan and his sin hurt Israel. 36 people died. And his wife and kids had to be stoned to death because of him. And my sin affects you. Your sin affects me. It affects the church at large. If you've fallen out of love for God, I don't think you'll find anyone in this room that hasn't at some point. I think there's grace in the church because we know of our own failures and we know how we get distracted and, and the world we live in and the church we live in. But we got to bring it back and make ourselves about the love of God and about His name being great amongst the nations. And so let's, let's do what we need to do. But our calling is to make disciples and the truth is, is we all make disciples whether we are trying or not. Um, people follow our example. 
as a person who just sits in a church pew, you're making disciples. People who just sit around and do the same thing you do. Um, but if we confess and we repent, we might see that fruit in the church too, especially if it starts with us as leaders. To admit if we've gotten comfortable, to admit if we've gotten greedy, to admit if we've fallen out of love with Jesus and we've become a lover of accomplishment rather than a lover of God. I want to pray, you know, I think uh, those who've heard me teach the last few years, you know, I, I preach the whole idea of true religion, you know, being to care for the widows and orphans in their distress. And I focus on that. Um, and I don't even read the rest of the verse because I get so focused. But it's also to keep oneself unstained by the world. And I just have a sense that maybe we are more stained than we even realize. And that's why I just want to pray over us right now that God sanctifies us by his word and that we leave here and say, God, purify my motives. So let me pray. God, help us to be obsessed with you. To where you are all we think about. And where I'm constantly just trying to find time to be alone with you and just be with you and recognize your presence with us, God. Help us, Lord, to be lovers of you. God, there's so many distractions. We don't even see you as a person anymore. We just see you as an idea or an obligation or just this being up there rather than a person, God. The person of God, Lord. When we pray, may we realize that we're talking to someone and that you're listening to us and you're responding to us and that you love us. And you saved us. And God, as we grow deep in fellowship with you, God, then our desires will become your desires. We'll start desiring the things that you want. God, do you want everyone in the world to see your beauty, to understand who you are and your good news? And so many people have never even heard about it. And so, God, I pray that we would long for that deeply because we love you. And that would fuel us every day. God, show us, search us. See if there be any wicked way in us and lead us in the everlasting way. Purify my brothers and sisters in this room that they would be lovers of you. And it would be their joy to have your glory known among the nations. So right now we worship the name of Jesus. Holy is his name. We bow before Jesus. Help us return to our first love, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.